G'day and thanks for joining us again on the Talking Leadership TV podcast series. My guest today is Rachel McKenzie. Rachel's been the Executive Director of Berries Australia since February of 2019. Berries Australia was set up in November of 2018 to promote the interests of the following sectors, strawberry, blueberry, raspberry and blackberry, which have a combined worth of $1.4 billion per annum and represent the single largest fresh produce category in Australian supermarkets. As part of her former role as Growcom Chief Advocate, Rachel provided significant support to the Queensland strawberry industry during the needle tampering crisis and was a key conduit between industry and government. The lessons learnt from the needle tampering crisis enabled Berries Australia to quickly swing into action when COVID-19 hit to provide a range of support mechanisms for growers. The Berries Australia COVID-19 response was recognised in the 2020 Safe Work New South Wales Awards. Rachel holds a Bachelor of Science and Bachelor of Arts from the University of Queensland and started her career in the Queensland Government as part of the Department of Primary Industries. She then spent three years at the Coastal Cooperative Research Centre as the National Projects Manager which gave her experience in project management and working with academia. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. As always, thank you for joining us and I'll hand over to Rachel. Rachel, thank you for your time today, mate. Um, I want to explore a couple of different themes here around your leadership pathway, but let's start at the beginning, if we can, by me asking you your leadership and its beginnings, mate. Well, I think leadership, it's an interesting word, is is, is um, am I a leader or do I lead? And I guess um, that's one of the questions you ask yourself. And at what point in your career do you start leading? when do you become a leader? What's the defining point? And I think for me, um, I had a, you know, I was always one of those people who never quite knew what they wanted to do. I wasn't sure if I was an artsy person or a sciencey person. So I ended up doing a, a double degree in science and in journalism with no clear idea of where that was going to take me. And I think Certainly in the initial stages of my career, once I got going, I started in um, government in a policy role and I just really liked it. And it became, um, it was easy for me to do a good job because I cared about it and the things that I was good at were the things that the job needed. And so it was just a really great opportunity for me at that, that early stage. And I had a boss at that time who... you know, I was 26 or something, I didn't really realise it, but he at the time was very good at giving me as much rope as I needed, like giving me as many opportunities and he'd pick me up if I fell, but he'd let me climb as high as I wanted to. And, you know, most of the, I wasn't sitting there going, I want to be a leader, I want to be the top of the tree, I want to climb this, you know, slippery pole. I was like, I want to do a really good job. And, um, you know, and it, it was, I was really lucky. And, and then I was able to take that experience and move into the next role where it was, um, you know, more challenging for me, a bit of a different um, kind of role. It was in a, a cooperative research centre. And one of the things I always think about is that um, everyone there was so smart. Like it was being in a room full of intellectual giants and so that was wonderful in a learning experience sense but it was also sometimes daunting in so much as you you had to be really confident about what you were saying and so I think that gave me some skills but I also had a boss there who was a younger 
CEO, probably in his late 30s, and he was very intentional about his leadership, which I thought was interesting. Like, And he also communicated to us about what he was doing and why he was doing it. And so you could sort of hear behind the screen, so to speak, and see what actions he was putting in place and what deliberate approaches he was taking to try and lead us as an organisation into a better place. And I think that was invaluable and gave me so many things to think about and reflect on when I took my next role, which was my first real role, managing people. And again, I kind of, I've never been one of those people who's gone like, I'm going to be this person by the time I'm 40 and this is the pathway I'm getting there. It's been a little bit haphazard, um, but I've been fortunate. And I guess moving into horticulture, which has been my thing, has become my thing, um, was kind of an accident as well. So I was working in the CRC. We were doing a lot of work with farmers. A role came up. A friend of mine was going on maternity leave. She sort of encouraged me to apply and the CRC was winding up. So I thought, oh, well, give it a crack. And um, it was coming in and, and managing a team. And it the team was really dysfunctional. And, and that was partly a consequence of the role being really poorly described. And so my friend, um, she was really great at one part of the role, which was doing a lot of policy and advocacy work, but it meant that she didn't have time to actually do the team leader stuff. And then, so when I came in, and I think this is the, the clarity and perspective that you have of coming in new, I was like, oh, this team is not working. <laughs> And so the first thing I did taking on board the lessons I'd learned from my previous boss was to sit down with every single one of my team members and ask them what they saw their role was and what they wanted to achieve. And I really realised that some of them actually had no idea and were just kind of bumbling along and they were really looking for clarity of purpose. And so I think I was able to look really good really quickly um, because people were, were seeking someone who was going to come in and go, okay, let's do this, we'll do this, that, and the next thing. I also have um, experience in group facilitation. So I did some um, study in, you know, managing groups and, and facilitation and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that was very helpful in, in managing that team because they were just hungry to be facilitated they wanted to make progress and they just needed someone to kind of guide them and enable them to deliver and be the best versions of themselves and I think for me that was a real learning it, it wasn't those people were there they were the same people what did I do I I guess I listened I asked um, and I also gave them clarity of purpose and together we were able to work towards that purpose and I also advocated for them in the organization so they knew that I was there so perhaps learning from that first boss of mine you go as far as you, you can but I'll catch you when you fall and um, I think I hope that was how they saw me and I really tried very hard to be that kind of leader 
for them. And then um, I was fortunate in that particular workplace to sort of um, have some promotion opportunities. At one point I was the operations manager and I was, I was managing about 15 people, which is not huge. Um, and then I moved into an advocacy role. So it's kind of the the 2IC of the organisation, even though I had fewer direct reports. And then I've moved over into my current role where I manage a very small not-for-profit um, organisation, an industry representative body in horticulture. And, again, I just feel lucky that um, my split personality of being a bit sciencey and a bit artsy um, has meant that I can actually really give value back to the industry and that's what's really important to me. Mate, that's an amazing uh, scene setting and it's uh, interesting the pathway that you took and it, it stands out in my mind that you remember the good leaders that you meet in your travels on your way up on the come up and it, it sounds like you, you um, found them not necessarily by chance because you always make a conscious decision to take on a job and you hope that the people that are, that are leading there are going to be good um, good reference points to learn from or at least um, if they're not great leaders that you can learn something from they're not great practice um i was saying to one of my guests as i was recording yesterday that you tend to remember the good ones but the bad ones also stick with you as well and not necessarily for a negative reason but they're there to remind you that in in this thing we call leadership the leadership process you're dealing with human beings and so um i really enjoyed the the end of your intro there where you talked about you wanted to help enable your team you didn't use those words i'm hoping i'm not um i'm not adding something that's not there but it it feels like you wanted to um help the team be the best that they could be and um stands to reason that if you're doing facilitation studies of whatever kind then that's your bent um and it, it um this um the duality you've got with being uh artsy as you said and uh being um well not so artsy having those two sides to how you do what you do that that's that's an interesting um interesting way to put it uh, i i think my career mirrors yours I, I had expectations of myself young didn't quite go the way that i thought but, but i've enjoyed my travels because you sometimes you fall into jobs and you end up being passionately um com committed to doing something for that industry sector so myself i used to be in the seafood industry in queensland and and really liked and made good relationships with the people in it um, where I, where I had a downfall, I think, and I'm just relating this because you've just triggered this in my memory that you can cross a line between being a passion, dispassionate advocate to being a passionate advocate, but you're on, you, you, you move yourself from the middle and you're very much invested in the outcomes for your people. And that can have impacts on your own mental health and, how you're seeing the world and trying to balance that is something I didn't always get right, but I'm, a, I'm more aware of it now. And um, I've had discussions with people on it and it sounds like you, you've, you've found your center, so to speak, despite the fact that you've got different interests in your leadership journey, which is a good thing. So let me ask you, Rachel, again, there's no right or wrong here, but how would you, do, you define leadership for yourself? I think that I kind of touched on it before and, you know, as I said in our discussion earlier, you know, I don't sit there every day thinking about how am I being a leader and what is leadership? You, you just are, are doing your job. And um, I think 
But for me, it really is about enabling, using your word, my team to be the best that they can be to deliver on the objectives of the organisation. And that, again, comes back to that clarity of purpose. So, you know, part of being a leader is making sure that you you really understand what you are trying to achieve and then you can bring your team with you. But if you don't understand what you're trying to achieve, if you don't understand what your core business is, then you might be charismatic, you might be, you know, taking your people on a journey, but where are you going to end up? My view of what leadership is is in some ways reflective of what you're saying. That enabling bit is important because you're dealing with people. The the idea that you're always going to be self-reflective about your own practice just doesn't make yeah. sense. And it's not real because when you're doing the doing of, of your job and you're in the operational side of things, you're not thinking about it. Um, I've been told by some people are a lot smarter than myself that um, taking some time out to have a think about what it is that you're doing can often be a good way to check your own practice. Mm. But again, the reality of, of working in the not-for-profit sector and I, and I understand the pressures that are there that you don't get time to breathe sometimes and so you just do what you can to get the best outcome for the people that you're with and hopefully your team is coming along for the ride because you've given them the space to do what it is that they need to do. What key leadership issues have you seen more recently that that trigger your interest? And then do you think there are any leadership issues that are unique at the moment that you think are still still something that we need to get um, more to grips with? That's a really interesting question, Eric. And I think coming back to some of the things that you said before, I think, you know, leadership the two bits of leadership are really important, the enabling and the clarity of purpose. And so sometimes I, you know, my people might go, you know, have a passion or want to be the best they can be in a certain way. But if it doesn't align with our purpose, then I have to pull them in. And so that's the kind of um, other part of it, that it's not all, you know, roses and, you know, prizes and all of that kind of thing that, you know, there are times when you actually have to be a little hard-nosed and say, actually, that's not something I need you to spend your time on. We need to do this or I need you to put your foot on the sticky paper and and get on with this. And I think um, I know this might not necessarily, sometimes I think these words might be taken the wrong way, but I think I remember having a team member back in the day who was like, "But, but I don't like doing that. And I said, well... That's why we call it work and give you money. Um, it is a trade-off. There are aspects of jobs. Or there are bits of my job that I hate. I'm not great on the financial stuff. Sitting there all day with an Excel spreadsheet is not my idea of a good time. There are people who are much better at it than me, but it's a key part of the role. So I just have to, you know, buckle down and do it. And I think that's actually a really important part of leadership too, is actually going, you know what, this bit's non-negotiable, but I'm really open to let you explore your passions in other ways. And I think that's also when you can, you know, important to identify people who aren't the right fit because if you're always butting up against this issue of them not really liking what they do, well, that's going to make it really hard for them to do a good job. And, And it may be not possible to make the job the right job for them just because of the nature of the job. So, you know, I think you have to be open and honest about some of those um, 
less fabulous aspects of um, leadership. Sometimes you've just got to be the one to make the decision and you've got to own that decision and wear it. And um, ultimately the buck stops with you. So I think, you know, that's some other parts around leadership that we need to be honest about. But coming back to your question, um, I'm lucky that I have some people in my um, field, in my area, who um, are looking at this kind of stuff. There's a lady called Cynthia Mahoney who's just released a book called Cultivate, which specifically looks at um, neuroscience and human-centred leadership approaches and we've actually done a lot of I've known Cynthia for years and we've done a lot of um team building with her and I think the benefit of having a small team is that I get to do the team building too um so I get to be part of those conversations and we all can work together and and understand how we all operate in that at that team so that's when I get to have that reflection time and I also get the opportunity to have feedback from my team in a way that's sort of not confronting and, and, you know, helps us improve our practice. I think obviously the last couple of years has been a fascinating experiment in work. Um, so my team is a virtual team. None of us actually are co-located. And so interestingly, prior to COVID, that was already the case. So back in late 2019 we started a new project and we had team members all over the country and I'm like I think we need to look into this zoom technology and so we actually got a subscription to zoom and we put in place some practices around um, engagement that were um, deliberate in terms of managing a virtual team and one of those things was um, I have some rules around what goes in an email and what we use other forms of communication for. So I would say an email is something that if I still need to refer back to this in two weeks, put it in an email. If it's something that we can, you know, that we need to talk about now and we need everybody in the conversation, let's do it on WhatsApp. So we have a we have a WhatsApp group that's for that. Which restaurant are we going to when we all come to Melbourne or, you know, the stuff that's in urgent and needs to be discussed collectively but I don't need to know it in three weeks time it doesn't need to be retained for posterity um and you know those back and forward ping pong conversations fill up your inbox and frustrate me so I'm very much put those in the whatsapp group but the other thing we did and I actually think you know you, you did it we did it at the time because we kind of got along and I didn't want too many jokes and things cluttering up our work whatsapp so I created a social WhatsApp group called Berry Social. Um, and it's actually still got former team members in there. And it's just where you put memes, pictures of your dog, jokes, funny things you've seen on the telly, stories, bit of stuff around your holidays, that kind of thing. And I think in COVID that actually became a really important group because we had, there are team members of mine who live alone, worked alone, and, you know, were down in Melbourne and didn't see anyone in the flesh for a while. So having that outlet that they could just go, I've had a really crummy day and I just want to share this joke with you or, God, there's five bazillion cases of COVID and I'm getting really stressed and, you know, people would, could then ring. And there was a lot of mutual support and, and that kind of thing. And I think um, we were lucky in some ways because when COVID hit, we were ready because we'd already set up the stuff around virtual teams. 
But I will also say that, you know, when I was doing my reflection on my career pathway, such as it was, you know, I did talk about my former leaders. I did talk about my bosses, the people that I learned from. And I think the real risk that we run is that the younger people coming through, I don't think it's fair for a 23-year-old to be sitting in a home office trying to work and getting a new job all, all on their own. I think they need, there's, I got a lot out of those colleagues that I met in my younger years, you know, the Friday night drinks, the hanging out, the informal interactions, all of that kind of stuff. And you cannot replicate that on a screen. And I guess they can see how I lead in terms of direct observation of how I interact with them, but they can't see how I lead in terms of my interactions with others. There's not none of that kind of shared learning that you get from being in a shared space. And I think that's really sad. And my team is mostly middle-aged women. <laughs> we're all, none of us are lonely and we're all pretty good at managing ourselves and we don't need work to be our social life. But that's fine and we're a really small organisation, but I wonder what the implications are for younger people who are coming through in this paradigm. I really do worry about it. Rachel, that's not fair, mate. You've put up about 10 different issues there that we, we could go on tangents on, and they're all they're all important. And I think um, uh, any leader, uh, I'm calling it now, kind of the post-COVID period, that if you're not thinking about these things, you maybe need to start. And um, given that you've got a geographically dispersed team and you're all sort of mobile that there are some issues there around organizational cohesion around team cohesion because um you know i, I can't escape this fact because i think it, i think it's built into all of our genetics we're social creatures oh. we want to meet we want to talk we want to sort of um eyeball each other to see what what the hell is going on and, and you can't do that zoom is good for some things but it's not quite so good for others and and i get where you're coming from, unfortunately, I think the trend to hybridise work models and being prepared to do things in an untraditional way is going to be the new way of things. Um, it's it's just the way things are. And I, I think there's also the cost factor as well because getting a geographically dispersed team together regularly can cost a lot of money, whereas I think people have cottoned on to very quickly the cost saving of having something like Zoom to be yeah. able to have conversations. You know, this this for me is amazing because I can record us talking, but I can also extract the audio and create two different things out of one conversation. And that helps me a lot. And it, it costs me a pittance a month to have the program available. So, yeah, you, look, you've raised a lot of important things and um, – we'll have to do a second podcast on some of those things you brought up. But just for this one, I'd like to know from you, and, and you've mentioned a few capabilities, leader capabilities already, but if I had to put this question to you, what, what would be your top three leader capabilities for effective leadership? What do you think those would be? I think empathy. So always remembering, as you said earlier, that we are dealing with people and we all work is just one part of our lives. Um, and so we always need to think about the whole person, um, not just the bit that comes to work. Um, I think the other thing for me is um, trust. Um, I 
I try not to micromanage because I want to be able to trust my team to do their work. I don't need to know that they clocked on at 8.30 and clocked off at 4.30. I need the work to be done. If the work's not done, then I will, you know, start being a lot more, um, putting a lot more scrutiny on. But I need to be able to trust them to do their job, but they need to be able to trust me that I'll support them and that I'll back them. And that comes to that, you know, picking you up when you fall. And I think the other thing is, again, about clarity of purpose. And I keep coming back to that, but it's actually saying, this is why this organisation exists. This is what we do. And let's together work out how we do it. And if you think that the purpose is different, that's great. We can we can look at that and, and um, come to a shared perspective, but we need to have a shared perspective of what our purpose is and why we do what we do. Otherwise, we're just not going to be able to deliver. Yeah, to- totally reasonable. Um, so I, I reluctantly put the next topic area in, but I think it's worth a discussion around the post-COVID-19 workplace. Have you alluded to what that meant for you, given that you, you weren't working dispersed because of COVID? That was already happening yeah. so that mobility of your staff and yourself was already there do you think in your travels now and you don't have to mention particular individuals but from what you're seeing in the world of work do you think leaders are changing their practice given what we learned through COVID or not or is it too early to say I guess it's challenging because it's obviously you know how has one individual changed and, and have I been able to to observe that I think that Leaders have had to change. Like everybody's had to change. And it was quite interesting. Last night I went to a strawberry growers meeting and we did a survey of them and said, what's the way that you most like to receive information? And the number one way was webinar. But they have identified all of the things that you've identified that they can sit in their lounge room with a cup of tea and get the information that they need without having to drive anywhere and, um, you know, they really value that. And so I think um, everybody in society has had to go on that journey. And I think we've all learned some lessons about, you know, I certainly think, you know, we all understand things like Zoom fatigue. You cannot have back-to-back Zoom meetings all day. You cannot have, um, you know, a Zoom meeting that goes for six hours. People are learning how to better use the technology with, you know, breakout groups and whiteboards and all of that kind of stuff. But we are all on a learning journey together. I think the thing that we have to not forget is that we're not just little heads on a TV screen. We are people and we have all of those other things about us and that's where I think as leaders we have to be even more conscious of that. We have to be overtly conscious of that because otherwise it can become a very functional and transactional interaction and that doesn't actually fill people's cups as people. Yeah, again, perfectly reasonable and, and it makes it makes sense that we will adapt a technology uh, to our needs and and in some I, I would I say this with some confidence in some sectors um, ongoing zoom interactions is not going to cut it be, yeah. because of the nature of the work um, but in an industry where you are geographically dispersed and it's a, again it's time saving it's um, uh, efficient and it allows people to um, to be a bit more uh, um, 
gives some more flexibility, I guess, too, because not only is there a cost in meetings, but if growers uh, equate this to, to the fishermen I used to represent, it costs money to take time out of your day to work, and and that that that's something that I think is now become more in the in front of mind for for pe- people, particularly in the space that you're working in and in not for profits more generally, is that there's been a long term reliance on volunteering and people giving up their work time, and that has a value. You know, we all have a an hourly value rate that we will put. Um, to our experiences and um, the the people that grow our food, their time is just as valuable as anyone else's, if not more, because they're growing food, and um, it's a critical part of uh, you know staying alive, I guess the, the ability to eat food. So, yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> I think the one thing I would also like to say though is I do very much try to bring my team together when we can, at least once a year. And like I said, we try and do some kind of um, group leadership activity. So Cynthia Mahoney, who I referred to before, and again, sorry, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but when back in 2019 when we were starting this project pre-COVID, I was like, we're not all going to have time to get to know each other and how we work and our um, different strengths, weaknesses, funniosities. We're going to have to fast track this. So we did um, some work with Cynthia on, you know, personality profiling and you know there's all different types and I think I've done all of them but it's not really about which model you use it's it's actually just having a recognition that people are different and sometimes when things are sticky and tricky you can go oh that person's an introvert who needs to just have a bit of time to think about it I'll give them an hour before I you know get in their face again and um other people you know you can and it has really it just sort of fast-tracked that team bonding because we did it face-to-face and then we also had some tools in our toolbox to help us understand each other more quickly. We didn't have to learn over six months from trial and error, really. We knew some people were just bull at a gate and other people needed a bit of time to to get their head around things. And I think, you know, we did lose this team member um, in over in the last year or so because for that person, the remote working environment, it just didn't suit them and it was really bad for their mental health and um they needed more to be more in a team and they needed that environment and and we just couldn't provide it and I felt sad about it because they were actually really great in a whole bunch of ways but I really I kind of respected their decision because it was the right decision for them yeah and and also they they had the uh the nows to let you know that this is this is my situation, but also you don't want uh, team members that want to be that are reluctantly there because it affects what it is that you're doing, and that's going to have all sorts of other effects that were never intended because mm-hmm. the person's just not um, can't integrate integrate into that situation. I, I can I can understand that fully. I I use the word introvert extrovert when I'm talking to my guests and myself. I'm a classically introverted person so I need myself I don't need other people to get energized and to do things but I do need to think about things for a little while so I I I don't um I don't subscribe to the team of bullet a gate when I'm doing things but I can get things done I'm just not instantly reacting or or um uh extroverted in that sense I'm not saying one is better than the other I, I think you realize that people are either at one end of the spectrum or another or have some weird combination of things depending on their personality. And I've got friends that I think 
uh, go up and down that spectrum depending on mood and other things. And so being able to read that is important. And again, um, that uh, idea of team building that you're talking about, and I, and I get quite clearly what you're saying that there's a necessity to have that face to face is because again, we're, we're social creatures and that's the way that we're hardwired. And I think also it, it's incumbent on leaders to do that because you want to be able to get the, the team behind that, that uh, clarity of purpose, that shared purpose at where are we going? And it's hard to do on a zoom thing. I, I, I get it. You know, you need to see, people up front so yep 100 with you there okay um rachel i want to get to a question i ask in every podcast the nature versus nurture question are leaders born or are they made well coming from a science background i think that um, question is still up for debate in a number of arenas but um, i think that like everything it's both i think that um you have people who are given opportunities and are able to shine and then that gives them the confidence to take up leadership roles. There are people who find it very challenging but they do it and they are good at it because they're so humble and they're challenged by it but they they do it. Um, and then I think, you know, there are people who, who want to climb the slippery pole and, you know, I know that sometimes, particularly in agriculture because we're all so passionate about it, people who come for a... I, a short time sometimes I look down I'm like oh they're only here for two years and then they went off to tourism and you're like well actually those people can bring a lot of energy and dynamism and new perspectives into um, an industry and it's important that we have the kind of old timers but we also have the the fresh blood as well and the, the alternate perspectives and rather than sort of you know we probably pick up people from other industries who um, have learned lots there so I, I think that um, you know there's different um, a different pathways to leadership and different ways to be a leader. And just be, you can be a leader without having direct reports, without the big salary, without any of that. Not that I have a big salary, but, um, you know, I mean, the not-for-profit sector. Um, but you know what I mean? I think um, you can you can be a leader because that's who you are and that's how circumstances have aligned without all the, the trappings and labels. Yeah, again, I couldn't agree with you more. Where, where I might differ a little bit is um, as much as the science is uh, um, still grappling with this question, from my perspective, and this is my perspective only, I, I believe the majority of it is nurture and there is some nature in there yeah. because um, I've met some people that have told me I started out being reluctantly engaging with other human beings in the world of work and after training and deliberate, uh, deliberately being present and understanding what they wanted to do in a career, they trained themselves to develop the skills that they needed. And that um, not everyone goes through, has that epiphany early on in a career, but I, I think you can train people to do most things. Some people are reluctant to be leaders and it gets to this question around not everyone wants to take on a leadership role. Not everybody wants that um, mm. responsibility to go with it. And that's fine because the I think it's disingenuous to believe, and I'm not saying you, I'm just talking out loud here, that people are at work not because they love coming to work. If some For some, it's a very functional thing. I yes. provide my labour for eight, ten hours a day, then I go home and the two worlds never clash, whereas others... Uh, tragics in the leadership space that live and breathe their job 
are on it 24 hours a day in their mind, you can never maybe separate yourself. And I think that's a positive and a failing of those in the not-for-profit because you get passionate about what you do. And I think it makes for um, interesting career progression, let alone development of uh, good practice over time. And, and I've only met really good leaders in, in the ag sector that I've come across. I've, I've not had the misfortune of meeting people that aren't about others and about think, thinking that we're all in this together and how do you try and get the best out of your people as you're going along. So no, hearing you. Final question, Rachel, and this oh, is... Yeah, 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 go, you're right. Look, I think maybe I gave the wrong impression. I think that everybody has the potential to be a leader if they want to be. And so I think that obviously the nurture aspect of it is there, but I think um, that, you know, it's, and it's what I think it's if you want to be. If you don't really want to be, then you're probably not going to be a particularly good leader because you're, unhappy in that situation so look I, I kind of agree with you and and um even though I probably said that the, the science was out I think that you know everyone has the potential to be a leader in the right circumstances if they want to be and I think it is a, a there's a lot to be said for um great mentoring and um reflective practice and um you know a, all of the conversations that we have about leadership like I do follow a few leadership you know um, commentators and that kind of stuff and often read little articles and have a little bit of a ponder and and think about you know what I'm doing in terms of you know is that the right way or when I've done something and I haven't been happy with the outcome I have to you know I try to reflect and see if I could do it better in the future and engaging with my peers is really important and that's one of the things that can be difficult in these kind of roles is you can get a bit lonely um, and so I'm really fortunate that there's new organisations like the National Farmers Federation Horticulture Council, which just gives me a, an opportunity to engage with people like Jonathan Davey and other, <laughs> other great people in the industry and, and learn from what they do. And I'm sure they possibly maybe learn from some things I do. And 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 I think that's a great, a, a great thing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, Mr. Mr. Davey is one of those um, exceptional leaders that I've met. Um, where he's a good mate and I, I get where you're coming from and no, so to, to correct me before I wasn't having a crack at you when I said what I said, I'm just, I'm just the, I have an interest in the nature versus nurture because I have a feeling they, there's never going to be a final agreement on it because you'll meet people that have met leaders that they've have they can't put their finger on it and they'll say it's an X factor they were always going to be a leader whereas you get some that train you train the hell out of them or they train themselves and they become great leaders so I think it's a it's a um, constantly curious question and everyone has a perspective on it so no no dramas there Rachel look um, before we go I wanted to ask you to grab the um the metaphorical crystal ball and, and look back on a, on a younger version of yourself what would you say to that version of Rachel about being a more effective leader if you could counsel yourself back when you first um started on your pathway and career well I think coming back to the extrovert thing um perhaps listen more talk less <laughs> and um you know <laughs> actually, you know, and maybe be a bit more intentional about my observations in, in terms of leadership. I think the biggest, and I didn't touch on this before, was I had a boss who 
I found him absolutely amazing because he took his ego out of the dynamic and he was able to be quite blunt with people and they still thought he was a really good bloke. And I think it's because he never went in there going, I want to win this because I want to win. He was always like, I want to get the best outcome for the industry. And he would just take his ego out all of the time. And there are times that I sit there and, you know, we're all human and frail and all of those kind of things. But take your ego out is probably the thing I would say to my younger self. You know, you don't have to win. You don't have to be the loudest, the noisiest, the most memorable. You don't have to win. Sometimes the best thing is to shut up, reflect and work out what you're actually trying to achieve from every interaction. And sometimes that might mean you might need to, to lose in the short term. And there's nothing wrong with that. Rachel, thank you for your time today. Thanks, Eric. I really enjoyed it because, like I said, it's not something I sit around thinking about all of the time. So um, it's just nice to have an opportunity to actually articulate some of these thoughts that rattle around in my head. You've been listening to Rachel McKenzie. I'd like to thank her for her time today and for sharing her leadership learnings. Again, thank you for following the podcast. Drop a like or please subscribe. Have a great rest of the week. Look after yourselves and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV.